You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to another Locked On Indians podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. We're going to lead off today's show by talking about a Joel Sherman article that went up in the New York Post about a day ago. It's the type of article that uh, infuriates Indians fans and basically any fan that isn't a Yankees fan because it's the type of thing that uh, we've been seeing for years out of New York and it kind of perfectly encapsulates the view of all this. Joel Sherman's great at breaking news. He's often an excellent writer, um, but he is writing an article that is just, it's catnip to Yankees fans. He's writing to his fan base and there's nothing wrong with that, but for an Indians fan, this had to be one of the worst things I'd seen all year. And the one area where I would ding him is just um, that there a big part of what he considers in it is just uh, unresearched. He didn't do the research to, to see that the case wasn't exactly true. Now, before I get into this article, I have to tell a story about when I lived in New York City. I lived there for six years, uh, Brooklyn the whole time, but I worked in Manhattan. And when I opened a checking account at a Chase, this was like, I don't know, I think I moved out there in 2007. So this was not long after they had signed CC's at yet, and I'm setting up a, an account at Chase, and the guy there is ribbing me because he's seeing I'm coming from Ohio about how they just signed Sabathia. And, you know, at the time they were talking about some issues in the outfield, and, you know, the Indians had um, just, this was the year they had knocked the, uh, or no, Sabathia, Sabathia was still there. This was before the Sabathia leaving, but he was talking about how they were going to get him in a year or something like that. Because this was right after the Indians had knocked the Yankees out of the playoffs that year in the ALCS before eventually choking to Boston in the next round. Um, and he was already telling me how they were going to get Sabathia and uh, how much they needed size more and they would just get him because they had a hole in center field. And it was just a matter of time was essentially what he was telling me. Um, he was very nice about it, but it was kind of always been the Yankees' perspective. And when I lived in New York, I saw this often that, like, we need this, we'll get this. Like, you know, that no one says no to the Yankees. That was kind of, it was a very Godfather type of deal. Um, and it would get a bit annoying. It was always kind of, but I will say the whole time I was there, I was more annoyed by the Red Sox than the Yankees. So it, it's all relative um, in the grand scheme of things. But this article definitely fit that perspective. And just a quick side note, you know, I see people sometimes talk about Grady Sizemore online. Can we talk about the fact that before his injuries, if you go on baseball reference, his age equivalency scores, the players he was most common to were Duke Snyder and Barry Bonds, a pair of Hall of Famers. Um, Yeah, don't discount Sizemore. We forget how young he was when Sizemore was Lindor. It'd be like if at this point in his career, Lindor had a career-ending injury. That's where kind of Sizemore was at that time. Um, Phenomenal talent. And I just wanted to digress to give Grady some... Uh, some love because it's not something we see anymore. Injuries completely derailing a non-pitcher's career. It still happens with pitchers, but we don't see it with hitters as much. So this article in the New York Post was basically saying that the Yankees need to sign Garrett Cole and, you know, about a dozen teams, cities, writers are writing that about Garrett Cole right now and their team and that they need to trade for Lindor. And so he writes that the Yankees would say no to Judge, Servino, or Torres. Now, Frankly, the only way you trade uh, you trade Lindor would be straight up for Torres. Like that's pretty much the only trade that makes sense, or maybe Lindor in hand for Torres. Like Torres might have more trade value than Lindor, but that's about the only deal that makes sense. So his counter offer would be Jason Dominguez, who the Yankees gave 
5.4 million, a filthy amount of money for a 16 year old. Um, but again, I'm going to point out the fact that when I talked about the Yankees system, uh, back when we were discussing why a Trevor Bauer deal never made any sense with the Yankees, that this is their number one prospect and the flame out rate of 16 year old, uh, millionaires is extremely high. The last guy to get this type of height, Kevin Metien is not even really much of a prospect at this point anymore. Uh, Michael Yanoa, there's been so many, you know, Michael, Miguel Cabrera was one of these guys, so it does work out, but the it's not even a 50% flameout rate on guys who get, you know, 2 million plus bonuses. It's uh, it's a big risk, and a 16-year-old is not going to highlight any deal. That's just end of story. Uh, so it's like uh, Debbie Garcia, who's probably arguably the number one prospect. Now, Debbie Garcia is one of the more inflated prospects in the minors, and you wonder if it is kind of the Yankees slant. Now, there are reasons to like him. He's 20 years old, won't be 21 till May. He's already up to AAA. Um, he's missed bats at a high rate, but he's always, uh, you know, had a little bit of homer proneness, and he's always had a walk rate. His walk rate as he's gone up the minors, let's say, this year was well over four. Now, this is all stuff. I mean, he worked across three levels, Triple um, A was he had six starts and then five out of the pen, uh, and he was not particularly good there across the board. So like when you look at a Debbie Garcia, his value is not where it was in July because once he got the Triple A, he got a bit exposed. His value is just not there because there's always you know like I'm all for undersized right-handers, but five foot nine is pushing it. Um, name a five foot nine right-handed starter. You're probably going Tim Lincecum. Now he is 5'11". What about Johnny Cueto, 5'10"? Well, uh, Pedro was short, 5'11". It just doesn't happen. Like, 5'9 is kind of beyond what we've seen, even in terms of undersized pitchers. I mean, he is more than likely a reliever. It just... It, there's As I'm going through the list, it's like they just don't exist. Like, there is not anyone with his... It's the same kind of case I made with... Um, Tristan McKenzie, that there's nobody with his height and weight that just didn't exist. Nobody at five foot nine has worked as a starter. It just, it's kind of that I'm willing to go down to five ten with a guy, but it's the same reason I kind of doubt Eli Morgan as a starter, who I believe is also five foot nine. Um, so you're looking at a guy who's likely a reliever and a sixteen year old. But there's more. Um, they would take on the 17.5 plus a bonus million, he points out. So a total of 18.5 million to take Corey Kluber off the Indians' hands. Now, this is where I got annoyed because the Indians have to pick up his option. So if the Indians don't want to pay Corey Kluber, they don't have to. But they want to pay him. They want to have him. Taking his 18 million off the books doesn't help the Indians. The Indians do not have a bad contract on the books anymore. They don't. You can't. This is a classic big market thing. It's the same thing with like that horrible trade idea for Nick Castellanos at the beginning of the year that I talked about with the Tigers, where teams think, oh, fan bases and writers will absorb this salary. I'm guilty probably with the Jed Lowry trade I mentioned before, but will absor- absorbing salary really doesn't net you much anymore. There's not a ton of value in that, and especially in the case where the team clearly wants to keep the pitcher and uh, does not want to give him away as... Uh, part of the deal to make it better for them and the final piece he mentioned in here um we'll get into in a moment the postseason is brought to you by vivid seats and they've been one of our great sponsors 
They took the idea of buying your tickets and added a fun new wrinkle with a loyalty rewards program. The more you buy, the higher you get to go, the better the deals you'll get. And if you're going to buy a ticket to anything now, you want to be using Vivid Seats because we have this promo code for you. So you're going to go download the app, Vivid Seats, and use the promo code POSTSEASON. That shows them that the MLB side of things on Locked On sent you there. You're going to buy your tickets anyways. This code will save you up to 100 bucks. So you might as well go use Vivid Seats, save yourself some money, and start building up those reward points. Because once you start building up those reward points, you're going to want to keep going back to Vivid Seats. So remember, download the app, use the promo code POSTSEASON, do it for yourself, save yourself a few bucks. Our other sponsor is one of our oldest and dearest, that is BlueChew.com, the little blue pill, which has all the active ingredients as the big names, but since it's chewable, it allows you to do what you want to do quicker. There have been all these scandals this year about uh, uh, the use of uh, helping pills uh, for major league players when from gas stations and such, don't do that. That led to suspensions. Instead, go over to Blue Chew, use the promo code MLB. Again, it shows them that uh, you're listening to our great MLB podcast network. And they're going to send you a free sample. They believe so much in their product, they're giving it away for free. You have to pay the five bucks for shipping. Small cost to pay to see what all the hype's about. See why they believe in a product so much that they're willing to give it away for free, knowing you'll come back for more. That is BlueChew.com using that promo code MLB. Try it out. See what all the hype's about. See why this is a product that they believe so much that they think the first time you try it, you're going to keep going back and using it again and again. So the final piece I talked about before the break, um, the one that kind of makes some sense here is Michael, uh, I'm sorry, not Michael, Miguel Anjouar. And I've always liked him as a prospect, um, dating back to his days in with Trenton. And he had a really good year last year, uh, 27 home runs, 47 doubles, uh, not very good at third base defensively. A lot of people thought he'd eventually have to move to first. The issue here is he didn't even strike out a ton, 16%, but the really low walk rate, uh, bat pip was very high for a guy like that. Like, you're looking at someone who's due for regression, and he had started to regress when you look at just the splits um, over the course of the year. So, as stated, you know, he uh, he was kind of a, a butcher at third, but I was right. The the home and away splits, I mean, it makes it's a difference for, like, a Coors-level talent. Like, you're looking at 114 OPS difference, um, sign- almost a 100-point difference in slugging al- alone. So he's, the Yankees Park, remember, is one of those that is built for power, and he kind of, he was a natural for it. So you're very likely to not get the same type of guy um, when you take him out of there on top of the fact that he just missed virtually an entire season because of injuries it's like who's going to value a guy who missed most of the year due to injuries here the the trade offer is a 16 year old who has yet to play minor league baseball a five foot nine starter when there has never been a five foot nine right-handed starter who's been like massively successful so basically a five foot nine reliever um, taking back a contract that the Indians don't want to give up and a guy who missed an entire season due to injury and was kind of viewed as a sell-high candidate last offseason when healthy. Uh, it's not a good deal. It's a terrible deal. And that's why, like if you're in an Indians fan, you're just, in, like I said, it, it's the it's what he has to write up. Because if he writes up a deal like that and says, you know, Lindor for Torres, it's going to be a pain. Okay. Even if he writes up a deal like that and 
you know, says, well, the Indian, you know, the Yankees can't get him. It, it's a pain. But the, the plain, simple fact is, yeah, the Anjouar, Urshila, you know, these guys are going to basically be come to camp next year and compete against each other. Both of them probably had back-to-back career years, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, the Yankees have some good depth. It's an interesting team in terms of just having the depth and the players to move around. Uh, you know, maybe you put Andrew R. at first because Luke Voigt was pretty terrible this year. You figure out what you're doing with Clint Frazier. They have some interesting young pieces. Uh, but the minors, on the whole, it's one of the weakest in baseball, but in my opinion. And it's not just... You know, like I said, going back, another interesting part in the deal was that he said the Yankees traditionally find the Indians to ask too much. They couldn't agree on Trevor Bauer in July, for example. But they have made big tra- uh, trades, Andrew Miller, for example. And what this comes down to with that is, yeah, they couldn't agree on a Trevor Bauer deal because the Indians didn't want to trade him to a team they're going to face in the postseason. And again, the Yankees have nothing. They don't have pieces to offer. This is a team that you look through the list. Estevan Floreal, okay, he is, he's almost 22, and he still hasn't gotten out of high A, he is, I mean, he's cratered, he, if he was not a Yankee, I don't think, because there is that degree of that, and I've talked with other people online, and it's, you know, there are more writers in New York, so these guys get written about more, so they're kind of known more, and the group think can take over to a degree, but Floreal's not an interesting prospect anymore, he is not a central, he is a tertiary trade piece at best, uh, Anthony Sigler, who was their catcher draft pick from a few years ago, struggled to stay healthy. He hasn't really. He's played in 50 games the last two years. Clark Schmidt, the first round pick from a few years before that, it hasn't really worked out for him. I mean, there. Anthony Cabello is an arrow pointing down. If you go over to Fangraphs list, it's it is not a good list. And then you look at that Fangraphs list. I just pulled it up because you know they update constantly, so it's a good quick reference. But it's rookie ball, rookie ball, rookie ball, rookie ball. There is. Garcia's in AAA, Clark Schmidt's in AA, and then after that, they do not have another prospect until Michael Yajur, who's in AA or higher, and he is the 17th rated prospect. Clark Schmidt at 11, Garcia at 2. That's how weak their upper, their, their upper minors are as weak as they are as any teams when it comes to just depth. So, the Yankees don't have tradable pieces. Uh, a Lindor deal with the Yankees is nonsensical at best and uh, insane, frankly, to even consider on any level. Joel Sherman's got to write pieces. I get it. Uh, he's got to write pieces. That, and when he writes a piece, there is probably a degree of, like, what's going to get the least amount of blowback when you write in New York City. Uh, of course, you know, I mean, Lindor could very well end up with the Yankees as a free agent in a few years. But as a trade, there's just... Unless the Yankees are willing to offer Gleyber Torres, then you're like, yeah, okay, we can make this work. But short of Torres, there is no single player that I can see the Indians stepping up and making that trade uh, for at this point. Maybe, uh, I mean, Judge as well, but that's pretty much it. Um, That's the list. I guess Servino. Okay, so the three guys you mentioned is untouchable. All would make sense. But outside of those three, and with the Yankees needing pitching, um, you know, I, I couldn't see that. It just doesn't make sense. They are not interesting trade partners or good trade partners on any level starting this week i'm gonna go through team by team kind of looking at what the indians could do what makes sense what other teams free agents are what teams have holes um where they could help each other where a trade might make sense how these the indians and another team could essentially interact this offseason uh this doesn't count for the yankees one i was just that article 
really kind of put something in my craw just because it, it's just the very typical like oh we need him <laughs> it's we're gonna sign Garrett Cole but we also need to add Francisco Lindor which again I think goes back to when I lived in New York and it's just that feeling of the expectation that uh, they're going to get whoever they want when they want them and you don't say no to the Yankees even though we've seen over the last decade they're not that same team under uh, baby Steinbrenner he's not willing to go and pay that luxury tax he's not willing to go to the extremes so I actually would bet against them signing Garrett Cole. I think a team like the Angels, who have shown they will bite the bullet on things, could make more sense. Um, there's going to be some teams out there with a little bit of money to spend. The White Sox certainly could do it. I don't know if they ever would spend the money. It's like that fan base is is already just resigned themselves to not getting a big name. But that is a team that is set to go out and get someone like that. But... Yeah, I'm kind of thinking the Yankees are going to sit at the the sideline. Uh, they're a very interesting team from the perspective of, you know, Anduar comes back. You got Clint Frazier. Cameron Mabin was an important part of that team, but he's going to leave as a free agent. Edwin Encarnacion will leave as a free agent. Uh, what do you do with Gregarious and, uh, you know, Dellen Batansis? I think in both those guys' case, you offer them arbitration, and if I'm both of them, I probably accept knowing that if I prove myself in a year, I'll get a massive deal and I won't have to deal with arbitration. Uh, They have the pieces, but they have to get everything via free agency. Um, They just, there's no other way. The talent in the minors is not anywhere near helping them. And that's what's going to be interesting for this Yankees team going forward. It's like, what they are right now is what they are. The minors can't really help them. Like, Like I said, Garcia is a reliever, so maybe he can come up and help them as a reliever down the road. But other than that, there isn't anyone, there, there is not help on the way. This is not a minor league system that can help them. And it's not a minor league system they can use to go out and trade for talent. Um, you know, they can make fringy moves on the sidelines, but they're not going to be able to make those big moves that the Yankees have made in the past. The team that the, got knocked out by the Astros is very, very similar to the team that they will put out in a year is my bet. Um, Maybe they do make one big signing. Maybe it is Garrett Cole because they do have some money coming off the books with someone like Sabathia retiring and some other stuff like that. But I, I think they're a team that uh, very much what you see is what you get. And if guys like Anjouar and Ushrela who come back to earth, like I'm predicting, that's going to put some massive holes. You know, it's they counted so highly on Luke Voigt and he came back to earth this year. Uh, Greg Bird never really turned into anything. It's and they don't have the depth to make up for it. So, you know, there'll be a point in time, maybe I'll dive back into the Yankees in like a month and a half, but they'll be the last team I talk about since I'm spending so much time on this show talking about them. But yeah, they're an interesting team from you never know what they're going to do and they always have the ability to spend, but also interesting from I don't think their minors have ever been weaker and have had less for them to, to trade away. And remember, under the new collective bargaining agreement, even if, let's say, Gregarious and Batansis leave as free agents and, you know, Edwin Encarnacion leaves and they lose all of those guys, they can't offer Edwin arbitration. You can't offer that to someone who's already had it offered to them. So they, they're not going to recoup anything. Uh, Batansis and Gregarious, if they leave because of how much the Yankees spend, they'll just get a pick between, I believe, the third and fourth round. They're not going to even get a, you know, a top 120 pick likely with the compensatory picks and the competitive balance picks, they likely won't even get a top 120 pick anymore. So this isn't a team where they can, 
you know, load up on some back first rounders by letting guys walk. That that's been eliminated for these big market teams. Uh, so yeah, the Yankees are, are in a situation they've never been in before, and we'll have to see how it goes. But Lindor to the Yankees, let's just put the big rubber stamp stamp of no, no chance, not happening. Thank you for listening. Uh, dealing with my cantankerous nature in this one. As always, send questions to Jeff MLB Draft for our mailbag later in the week. Um, check me out over on Scouting Baseball. Remember, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. Download every episode, even if you're not going to listen. Let's get those numbers moving in the right direction again. The offseason is hurting us. Um, so let's, let's stop that slide. Thank you, and go Tribe.